Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. All right, Chuck, don't die. <laughs> no, not hey, don't uh, die. We're going to call Bob because... <laughs> stop dying. Stop. Uh, get it right. Stop dying, Chuck. Uh, maybe he'll say that. Okay, uh, it's kind of weird. Um, let's call Bob. Um, Bob's not feeling well, and we're gonna call him because we've been we've been sitting here waiting since about six thirty. Chuck, it's waiting. What did I say? Waiting. Waiting. Hey, working. <laughs> but yeah. Hey, Bob. I'm thinking it is. Yeah, I missed. I missed. Sydney's taking a bath. <laughs> I'm supervising the bath because Chrissy's in bed sick. We all got the flu or cold or whatever, chest cold. You'd see, you should see what Mike had to do to make this work. I'm going to have to take a picture of this. <laughs> we told the listening audience that you went out and you were on, that you were on a bender. And, uh, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> no were, he didn't. We didn't say that. <laughs> so you're sick. And we're in yeah, Silver Lake. We're in the Silver Lake studio. Yeah, and it and is I've just been a... taking Dayquil since Friday. I just try to take only, you know. I know a lot of sober people want to know what you can take and what you can't take, and I I think you take whatever the doctor recommends that that's non-addictive. But when you have liver problems like me, you can't take too much of that stuff. So I've been taking like half a dose that normal people take and it just it works for like a couple hours and you feel like shit again and you got some what does that do you have some like cartoons going on in the background or is yeah, that mighty cnn morphin, or mighty morphin power rangers <laughs> All right. oh i knew power that rangers. well then we need to add some mexican radio to that if i touch if i touch <laughs> the mic stand we get a mexican <laughs> radio station so it's kind of cool which isn't oh, bad. It's, it's a good station. It is. But I was, this shows like parenting and all this stuff. Like Mike years ago, let his daughters play these violent video games. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe Mike Mark. Oh my God. Oh my God. Now Sydney is obsessed with Power Rangers and she plays the Power Rangers Wii game where you slash people with a sword. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. you got to be in the right <laughs> And, uh, you know, what do they say, Chuck, about the fingers pointing? Uh, you Three know. back at yourself, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I hear that a lot. Yeah. Well, your uh, thumb's pointing at God, so you're blaming God and the other person. Yeah. We are coming back at you. <laughs> thumb's pointing at Well, your God. thumb is pointing at, yeah, your thumb is pointing at Satan, and your other two fingers are pointing back at yourself, and your one finger is pointing at God. Yeah. Okay. But Power Rangers is for, like, uh, three to seven year olds, what it says, pretty violent for three to seven year olds. You know that that's funny because when my when Tristan, who's almost thirty now, was watching that when it was new, the big pitch on that was it doesn't show any human on human violence, so it's safe for our <laughs> kids' brains because they're in costumes and they're fighting monsters. And let me clarify <laughs> what I meant by. I don't censor my kids. I, I listened to that podcast and I was like, well, it kind of sounds like I'm just I let them go rogue. <laughs> and um i mean i don't what i did what i do is i recommend that you know early on i recommend no but i'm look. not i'm not even talking about here recently i'm talking about five years ago when you were over here and they were playing call of duty i was like little girls are playing call of duty holy shit yeah. i mean they know the difference between you know 
Well, that's the ultimate equality, isn't it, Chuck? Mike Mark, deliberator. <laughs> Mike, Mike, Mike is a forerunner on a lot of things. So I asked, you know, like now when I ask, I have like a uh, 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a um, 10-year-old. So um, 11-year-old, I'm sorry. And the 13-year-old, she knows how to censor herself. Like I said, hey, uh, you know, as a as kind of a, a joke, I said, we could go see Joker tonight. She goes, no way. I never go see that. You know, so she knows that she's not going to be able to watch certain things because her sensibilities are more sensitive than, like, say, the older one who says, yeah, let's go see, you know, Joker. And- yeah, no, it's, it's an ongoing thing because I think part of the addiction crisis, what made America ripe for addiction in 2000, whenever it started, I, you know, I, and nobody traces back like the year OxyContin came on the market. It's not a year where millions of people were abusing it. It took like 10 years to to become widespread. But I'm telling you, there were also millions of people that were overprescribed OxyContin that went, whoa, 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 this isn't good for me. This is not, this can't be good, regardless of what doctors were saying. You know what I mean? But there was, you know, four or five million that just said, I need more, I need more, I need more. And as we know about addiction, those are the people who weren't raised right. I I'm, I believe that. <laughs> now, Chuck, like, help me out. You're the clinical guy. I mean, they, they weren't raised right. I don't I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know if it's a matter of bad parents make addicts. Well, just the thing that I think is like there was bad parenting, like my parents lied to me and they were drunk all the time and fighting and all that. That's pretty obvious bad parenting. But I think there was a movement of political correctness that was overall destructive to young people, did not help them grow up, did not mold them to be autonomous and take care of themselves. We're still feeling the effects of that. Yeah. And that was a that was a entire that was a national thing because I watched this interview with Michael Moore a couple of weeks ago and he really did bring up some interesting points. Canadian kids watch the same tele- violent television and play the same violent video games. Canada is a saturated gun society. Everybody has three or four guns. Why, just 100 miles away from Detroit, Michigan, do you not have school shootings? There's something about America that is, and I don't believe Canada went for that. Everybody gets a trophy culture and don't hurt your kids' feelings. I don't know. Maybe moose hunting makes people happy. Well, well, but think of this, though. (laughs) (laughs) They don't think of resolving or getting even with people. What makes kids at 14 and 15 and 16 want to go to school and kill their classmates to get even with them for whatever the malfeasance is, bullying or making fun of them or embarrassing them online? What is it that American children are so quick to go get their dad's gun, bring it to school and kill their classmates? Because it literally doesn't happen 100 miles away. I think I, I think the media transforms them into semi legend here. You know, it's almost like the old West or something, man, where they like they think that they're going to be as famous as Billy the Kid. They're the same kids in Canada. They watch the same news. They are exposed to the same media. 
yet they don't have school shootings every week like we do. But the one thing they didn't do, and here's another interesting thing to make parents think about, <laughs> it doesn't happen in the inner, inner cities either. In, in, I hate to say it, in minority inner city working class environments, you never hear of, uh, of school shootings like you do in white suburban areas. So, uh, so but, okay, so you're talking specifically about mass shootings, retaliatory mass, mass shootings. Mass shootings, and, and if you kind of follow the mass shootings drug kind of uh, epidemic, they're they're very similar symptoms of a sick society. Does it doesn't it lend itself? Uh, you know, there's something there's something that's not been clicking with me for a while, and it seems like where we have the biggest uh, problems, but. We, you know, is with the drugs and with with the violence and with the strangeness is where their people just aren't busy enough with yeah, actual they have no purpose they yeah, have man. you know so when yeah. your only purpose is what's on um your social media social media or or getting on the news that's different you know when people have a sense of being and a sense of purpose it changes a lot and i think I mean, all the way down to if it takes me more than a minute and a half to be able to put together a breakfast for bug i feel like it's taken too long right you know i get reminded of stuff like when we go to visit my brother-in-law and he doesn't have a microwave it takes longer just to put together the simplest of meals you know and people used to have to you know it took time to put your life together to whatever it took to do your day and now everything happens so fast and everything is it i mean you People used to spend time writing letters even to relations, and now you just push a button and you can see their face and talk to them. We need to have more useful things to do with our time. Yeah, but we're the parents. We could be doing that right now when they're three years old. Like, you know, but somehow there was a societal norm that, especially in suburban white areas, who are the killers and who are the drug addicts, suburban whites, there wasn't an opioid epidemic in the south side of Chicago. There wasn't. Not yet. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, you know, you know why? Because doctors won't prescribe to African Americans the way that they do to white suburban Americans. That's an actual. <laughs> that that was documented in fifteen different studies. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, uh, Purdue was behind some of the studies. Why is why is there not a lot of drugs going into the inner cities? Be- they actually were looking into that and researched that, and it was there was a prejudice of doctors to, prescri- to prescribe to African Americans. That's, that's craziness. Yeah, that's crazy. That's racism it, at its best. Well, it actually worked in the favor of it a community for once. For the first time ever. Yes, <laughs> but the, you know when I when I hear I heard for the first time the other day a youngster uh, said, "Yeah, you know," so I went and got a, a thirty Fetty pill, and I was like, "Fetty." And yeah, fentanyl. So it's got its own cute little name now. $30 worth of fentanyl? Yeah, a 30 Fetty pill. A 30 Fetty. And I was like, wow, now now it's it's been absorbed. It's been given a cute little name to try and take the danger out of it. You don't, you, you want to get some like Fetty? Sounds like a pair of high heel shoes. I know. It's but, just... but so so let's get back to the parenting. The I do believe parenting and bad parenting and abuse and neglect and trauma and all of that is a major contributor to 
to addiction. I just, I was trained that way. I've watched it. I've dealt with tens of thousands of addicts. They all have physical, um, sexual abandonment, latchkey kids, whatever you want to call it. There's been a new kind of abuse every 10, 15 years. Right. And, and I, I really believe that the reason why there's so many addicts right now is because of the general overall parenting recommendations that everybody gets a trophy and don't hurt your children's feelings and feelings are the most important thing and defending your children against the school teachers who are just trying to discipline them. I mean, this, and where did all this parenting go on in the white suburban areas? Right. In right. Silver Lake, in the Valley, in, you know, in all these kind of what used to be upper middle class kind of parts of the United States that have kind of fallen on the hard times because of the economic collapse of the Rust Belt and stuff like that. But when you look at where's ground zero of the opioid epidemic, Huntington, West Virginia, Lakeside, Ohio, those used to be upper middle class working you know where you worked in a factory but you made good you were in a union and made good money in the 60s and 70s and it just started to collapse and became these more disenfranchised communities and more transient communities but their parenting was the recommendations of that you know political correct correct class i believe that i mean i'd like to know from some some listeners when they were either parents in the in the late 80s and early 90s or they were you know the children of the millennial children of the 80s late 80s early 90s did they get a trophy (laughs) if you were in in west virginia and you were the worst player on the team did you get a trophy the same as the best player yeah were your parents afraid to hurt your feelings did they try to protect you from life because i really think that's what we're dealing with well yeah especially people that like you or me or Mike or any of our, any of the people listening, when we grow up and we have those those uh, you know fouled up memories or things we don't want our kids to have to go through, the first instinct is to want to protect them from them, from those types of things. It's like uh, I think that that wasn't how my dad was or my mom was, and so then with Elijah when he would get in trouble, he's thirty three now. When he would get in trouble, I would I would assume it was his fault, and then he fucked up. <laughs> and then I was, and then I was around my other, you know, musician friends who had kids about the same age, and they assumed the teacher wasn't nice to them, or or didn't like them because their parents are rock stars, or they always they always aligned with the kid, and I always aligned with the school. So and- so I was really like a fish out of water in that era until finally I started feeling guilty and. I mean, I got advice in AA from guys who didn't have parents or didn't have children. <laughs> that, that's an interesting group. No, but listen, they yeah. didn't have children that felt that they could give unsolicited advice to me about right. my troubled teenage son. Right. And it was always, you got to be, got to do what he wants, be more connected, do for him, spend more time with him. It was all this kid-centric psychobabble. Instead of he's he's getting kicked out of middle school, <laughs> I don't need to do anything. 
Right. No, it, it, it's funny to think when, when people are, I hear it a lot and I see it on uh, social media where we need to listen to the kids. <laughs> Guess no. what? No, we don't because God love them. And I'm glad that they're expressing themselves, but a 12 or 13 year old really doesn't have well thought out answers. They, if anything, they understand one side of a bigger picture. I'm just, their brains don't even function in a critical way. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. And, and up until 19, really, but I, you know, you'll get attacked by the, you know, the Parkland school kids that's thinking like, I really, I, I appreciate their advocacy and I'm glad they're standing up and, and whatever, but I'm not going to follow their gun control laws. I mean, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> You're I not willing to give up your arsenal, huh? <laughs> I appreciate their enthusiasm because I was 20 years old at one time and I solicitation to kill the president. Like, I know what it's like <laughs> to be 20 years old and think you know everything and th- think you know better than, it, than for uh, the whole world. I know exactly what that mindset was. I kept that mindset till I was about 40, actually. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it, and it still rears its ugly head once in a while. Right. But, but you realize but do, it. You know, there's Bill Crystal is a is a is a guy I used to hate. You know, he, he's a conservative columnist for the New York Times. And I've been a big fan since I was in college. And and he says, if you're in your 20s and you're not a liberal, you, you don't have a heart. And if you're in your 40s and you're not more conservative, then you don't have a head. And if you're in your 60s and you're not recalibrating your belief system, then you're an idiot. Hmm. Because you you go through these life these 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 stages of life. Of course, in college, I thought Reagan was the devil, and I thought the United States government killed those nuns and threw them in a ditch in El Salvador, and I wanted to destroy the government, and I wanted what did I want? Gun control and abortion and freedom and <laughs> drugs legal drugs legalized this is what i wanted when i was 20 years old mike martin gold west college i wanted drugs decriminalized i wanted abortion easy access to abortion i wanted gay rights and i wanted no war and i wanted reagan in jail and i wanted free education it's the same shit that bernie saunders and elizabeth warren are trying to sell to the american public 40 years later right but but they might have a big enough voting base that's what 20 year olds want but the problem is 20 year olds don't vote they'll forget it's tuesday (laughs) (laughs) and so you have two leading kins in the democratic party kowtowing to 20 year olds belief systems yeah we're all going to get a free phone and we're going to get free health care <laughs> and we're going to get free college and the rich people are going to pay for it like that's just what every 20 year old wants to hear and they'll go to rallies and they'll give 10 bucks or 20 bucks or they'll get their mom to give 50 bucks but they're not going to vote no that that is funny because i there was a, so much shame um for me ever having to use uh, food stamps and the way people are, the youngsters are so quick to get the EBT cards, even though they're in treatment and they have food, they don't, they don't no, see. Listen, you and I both, I've had a hundred millionaires kids on food stamps. And I was like, this is fucking wrong. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and I've or seen, I've seen them go down and get general the, relief you too. Know, you know who teaches it to them? The rehabs. Uh, we don't, we, we, 
you know, I, I can't, I can tell you that there was, there was a place I was working for where they would take the EBTs from the clients and use it to buy food for the houses. So yeah, they, they'd take the them all down there. I'm not saying something wrong with it. I'm just saying. You mean they help them along? Kids, they, they help them along? They say, this is how you do it? Who, are, who aged out of their insurance. Yep. And, you know, they, the parents still have some sort of insurance or, or something or ability to pay. But then they're signing up for food stamps. Fuck Crazy. that. <laughs> well, yeah. Do you, know how many, you know how many wealthy people in California's kids are on Medi-Cal? Seriously. Uh, yeah, because they're 26. Yeah. yeah. And, and they don't want to have to pay the co-pays on things or they don't have. Or, you know, you're right. Even man, it it gets that gets it frustrating. Gets sticky, but, and it gets complicated. And that's what Obama, if anybody can watch Obama's speech over the weekend, I watched the whole thing. I was like, he could talk that motherfucker. He talked for like an hour and 20 minutes. But he was talking about this woke culture and this promise everybody everything and all the stuff that I've been talking about for the last couple of years, this, this like, you know, we're going to, we're going to protest via Twitter and all this. He said, that's not activism. Activism is changing things. Activism <laughs> is, activism is gray and complicated and compromising. Right. And he's, he was talking about that. He's talking to his own daughters about it. Because, you know, and that, so I just think that this should be the episode of parenting. I've been staying home because I'm sick. And at a certain point, you just get sick of your kids, don't you? I just got sick of them. <laughs> if you don't, you're not doing it right. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, sure. <laughs> you know, if if you don't ever reach a time where you go, God, I need a break from this. Then you're not putting the time in that they that they need. I was so sick on Saturday, and I said, Elvis, I promised that we'd go to GameStop because he had some money from my, I forget what. And I said, okay, I'm going to take a nap, and then as soon as I get up and get some garola, and we'll go to GameStop. And I said, but if you wake me during my nap, we're not going to GameStop. <laughs> this house was as silent as a motherfucker. He was, uh, he was keeping his sister quiet. He was like, he brought her into the far part of the house and was playing a board game with her to keep her quiet. So <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and we went to GameStop. <laughs> but after, after like 48, what was it? Like, yeah, 48 hours just in this house except for a GameStop run. Um, with two little kids, it was so it was a lot. Well, that's one of the benefits of being divorced. When they give me a bunch of guff, I just say, "You're going to your mom's." <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Well, I just I always hit it on the weekend. I always get sick on the weekend. That, that's another thing. Like Sid was sick. I don't know how many old people have children. Probably not a lot to listen. But. I'm old and I have this compromised immune system and I'm very paranoid about washing my hands at the preschool and whatever. So on the 30th, no, on the 31st, on Thursday, they had this big parade at her school and then through downtown Claremont. I must have, I brought uh, the hand sanitizer with me and had it in my back pocket. I was washing my hands all the time. I was there for like four hours at the school and then around the kids and downtown and trick or treating. And I was just so conscious of like, I, I can't get sick. I can't get sick because Sid had been sick and some classmates are sick and the teacher's sick. And I got sick and it really hit me on Saturday. You needed the and mask. 
Do you have to wear a mask? Yeah, you needed the mask. Did you see those things on this Halloween? They had masks that lit up like they were, they're actually saying like those surgical masks, but they'd made them into Halloween costumes where they lit up with different smiles and weird. But every hospital tells you you got to wash your hands. That's the man. Who knows? No, that's giant. Washing the hands is a big deal. But the other thing is, see, that's when we get sick because we know we've got a work week to get through. So we know when we have a down day and that we can relax enough to feel it because I, I know it's just like I'll, I'll power through uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday morning I wake up and I'm done. Yeah. You're so sick. I just, I, and then I, I didn't just have this podcast thing twisted around thinking it was Tuesday at six 30. And then Mike says, we always do it on Monday. And I was like, Oh my God, we do. why did I think it was on Tuesday? And I've been taking this day for at 8.30 this morning, I'm dying, waking up, and I get this text from my friend Eric, who has a chemical dependency school in Rancho Cucamonga, and he goes, see you at 10? And I was like, texting back like, what? I'm sick. And he goes, oh my God, you're the one that scheduled this meeting. There's a bunch of people coming. Because, uh, <laughs> so I had to go there, and I was there for like three hours, but there's this school, and I had this idea, Chuck, and you and I have talked about it, me and Evan have talked about it is the kids should go if they still have insurance at like 24 they should be in the 90 days of treatment when they're on op they should register for school this guy doesn't just have a kdac school it's like a tech school so they can do you can become a phlebotomist in nine months which a lot of drug addicts are good at that Mm -hmm. you can become a you are a medical billing person in nine months there's all these trade things that are very interesting that you can walk if you could do it and get certified and whatever you could walk right into a 20 dollars an hour job at 22 23 years old and it could just be an extension of your drug treatment yeah do you hear so, yeah I, I wonder do normal people know that that a lot of drug addicts that have been shooting up for a long time they're just like yeah i'm gonna go be a phlebotomist yeah, they be the best phlebotomist i'm not afraid of sticking world. a needle in anything yeah and so, and they're not scared of needles like a lot of kids, you yeah. know, young people are, and stuff like that. So, so, so I went there and discussed this idea that it would broker with this guy has a rehab called New Creation. You ever heard of that? No. Mm-hmm. Rancho, it's in uh, Upland or something. And um, and Allah would do it, and we would have these things where, you know, basically just like it is now, if you've got your insurance card and you're coming in, yeah, that'll that'll keep it housed and fed and in treatment for 90 days, hopefully most likely 60 days. Then you can go while in that 60 day period, get your GED. If you haven't completed high school or get your paperwork together, apply for a Pell grant for a school grant, decide what kind of, and I call it like temporary job. It might lead to something else when you're 22, who knows if you want to be a phlebotomist for the rest of your life. But or a paralegal, they have paralegal. There's all these things you could really make money, but kids don't know it. We should connect the dots for that. Right? Yeah, having a vocational, having vocational people around is is really helpful because it gets them yeah, looking I mean, at. You've got to access. You've got to you've got to connect the dots for them. You can't right. just like bring them to ADP and expect them to do anything. You've got to set the thing up where where I guess Voc Rehab will pay for some schooling for some categories yeah. of people. 
so I'm excited about that. I mean, you know, it'll take a year to get off the ground, but, but imagine that if you checked it, you could check into a rehab with your insurance card and then you could transit, you could stay in a lower cost sober living for five, 500 a month. They say there's some here in, in Pomona and around this school that they have in Rancho Cucamonga. So you could stay in sober living for 500 bucks a month go to school, get it covered by a school loan or a school grant. I don't know. What, what is a Pell grant? What is that? I don't know. It's something where it'll pay for trade school. I, I don't know. Because I, the reason I don't know is we do have a vocational person who does all that stuff. So I just, I always say, I don't know. Go ask her. Yeah, but, but you've got to think about housing. You've got to think about the community. Mm-hmm. You know, I just had a sponsee say he got offered a good job in Seattle. He's got like four months sober. He's in sober living. He said, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know about that. Like, you got to stay connected to your community, to even if it's one or two friends that you have. You know what I mean? That's essential to sobriety. To, to disconnect that quick, it, that's, that's a scary thing. I mean, that's why I like the so, way it used to work, like what we used to talk about. You'd go, you'd go through rehab with somebody or two or three people and you'd end up getting an apartment together because it kept that kind of nucleus together. You're all moving the same direction at the same time and doing the same sort of thing. And maybe one fell off, but another one came in, you know, and I, I've had a couple clients, a couple sets of clients come through who have done that recently. And I'm still, yeah, where, where do they move to? Because that's been another thing in the ones that I've tried to help. You know, the reason why Silver Lake is Silver Lake is because you could get an apartment for $400 a month in 1996. I know because that's how I stayed sober. If two people, like it was, it was me and a, my partner at the time, if two people can't come up with 400 bucks a month, they should use drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it was 460 a month, utilities included. Mike, you went there, that place on Vendome and Sunset that I had. Yeah. And the wall was painted blue. Yeah. Like, we got it. We got, you know, now you can, now that apartment, I stopped by there like three years ago because there was a for rent sign and I went inside and I didn't look at my unit, but the same one, a floor down. It's $2,400 a month. In, <laughs> in 18 years, it went up $2,000 a month. Yeah. So, you know, two people who are starting out in service level jobs making 10, 15 bucks an hour cannot afford to pay $1,200 each. No, you know what I mean. So, yeah. so I was wondering, Chuck, did the, did the people live like in Westminster? Where once they graduate elements, where do they go to live? Where are the affordable places in Orange County around there? A Coast they, Mesa, like Costa Mesa is expensive. No, it? but there's spots of it that are very affordable. Um, you'd be you'd be surprised. There's parts of Costa Mesa that are that are almost Newport, and then there's parts of it that are very affordable. I mean. Uh, like where that old rehab that you worked at at the top of the freeway, like how much? Yeah, is, like off how night. How much is a one bedroom apartment? Off, off night. You know what? I would. I don't know without saying it, but my buddy Pete had a had a giant place that was. Yeah, Pete that helped me. Move. Yeah, he had a he had a bitch in place up there that was um, fourteen hundred a month that you could put three people in easy. Okay, that's more like it. But I was just thinking, this this. This stay in sober living, go to school, get your certification and whatever, you know, 
occupation you want to go into for the time being, say, I always just say, and you have to guide these kids through this. Say, listen, you're going to do this for a couple of years. Who knows where you'll be two years from now? Because you have to reassure them, right? That's one thing the 12-step community has just stopped doing completely, in my opinion. They've really dropped the ball. Like, Gloria Scott told me what to do, Chuck. She told me what I was going to do. You, you, and you, but you wanted to do some stuff, too. Well, I, but I still, if it was left up to me, I wouldn't know what to do. The only reason I got the job at Millie's because of Keith Morris. He basically volunteered me for it. The right. People used to step in and insert themselves in newcomers' lives in a positive, proactive way. Now it's just all about the steps and psychobabble existential bullshit that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> the most important things that AA people did for me. No, the really the most important things that AA people did for me is Keith Morris took me to breakfast. Jeez. Our friend Patty owned the restaurant. She said, Hey Bob, what have you been doing? And I gave her the okie doke, like, oh, I'm working on a record. Keith goes, he just got out of jail and he's sleeping on my couch. <laughs> people still do that, Bob. Yeah, they don't, Mike. They don't. Okay. Because they might hurt somebody's feelings, and they're Chuck. mostly focused on the on the steps and stuff. You know, like Jack, it's all the steps. Like I don't even know what that. You know, that's something you do in your spare time. That's not. That's not what you do in your sixteen-hour day. No, there's, you know what I'm saying. You know, there's there is a need for mentors. And that doesn't even have to be sponsors. That's not what sponsors are. But I think anytime I see somebody struggling, he wasn't my sponsor, but he right. was a sober he, he was, guy. He was a mentor, who, right? Who wasn't scared to fucking say what was the right thing to say, right? You know. And then Gloria used to tell me, you know, you need to think about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And I just like, I don't want to hear that. Like, you know, it, you know, she was the one who kept saying, music is probably over for you. So what are you going to do? And she was, she was really trying to scare me. Is music really over for me? Because in the back of my mind, I was like, ah, is it over? Yeah, I thought it was over, but I thought something else might happen. See, and, and it, that's a form of motivational interviewing, though, too, to tell somebody, okay, well, this is done. What are you going to do next? It, to cause them to think for themselves. But that's, I like the idea of there's phlebotomy, there's uh, paralegal, because that puts you into a professional setting where you get to see what real professional people are doing. Because most, yeah, most of the people, people that are functioning in society instead of a bunch of people in sober living talking about the steps. Their next face tattoo. So it's like, yeah. you know, you get in, you get into a hospital environment and you go, hey, how come that guy drives a, a brand new Lexus? What does he do? Oh, he does radiology. I want to study radiology next. And it puts you in a, in a different, the idea of having a total rehab culture and people living in that rehab culture yeah, and what, hanging and, out and at that the that spreads into the 12 step culture. And it's then, perverted the 12-step culture and then then yeah. it's then it's the hangout at the alano club all the time and then we're just going to do this and do that and that's not where it is i mean I, I i've got a friend who uh she stopped going to a certain club because she was like i'm looking around and going i don't none of these people do anything other than this that's not know, what it is the, uh, I, you know i'm on the same page as that girl so so gloria scott one time we're sitting at her house after a meeting and she says so have you been thinking about what you're going to do with the rest of your life? And I was like, we please stop. I was like, I'm not even asking you for your opinion about it. <laughs> and she, you know, but 
you have to be able to have a rapport with somebody like that. You know what I mean? Instead of this fake therapeutic conversations that I hear at meetings when I go, it's like fake therapy talk. It's not real. It's not human. So I said, I said, I, I, you know, I'm working at Millie's and maybe I want to have a restaurant and I would, you know, maybe talk to Flea about, you know, starting a restaurant. And she goes, have you talked to him about that? And I said, no, it's in the back of my mind. And she goes, why don't you go to Flea or Anthony and ask them for a job on their crew? If something opens up that you could be a roadie for them. And I was like, a fucking roadie for the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Are you kidding me? I'm not going to do that. And it was just so, she was trying constantly to make me accept where I was and decide what I wanted to do about it. And I'm telling you, I, I, they just don't, when I do that to people, they get mad at me and don't call me anymore. Right. You know? but, but when you were new sober, you would have gotten frustrated with you. <laughs> Today, Bob would have been so frustrated with that, Bob. <laughs> I like the fact that you had people like that and that there's people around. And that Are you doing that now? Is that where? Yeah, I constantly tell kids to get jobs. That's what I did when your kid was in the beach. That's all it was about. Get a fucking job. Right. This is the day's plan. Go get a job. Well, I, I love it when I'm told there aren't any jobs down here. And I go, we are downtown Huntington Beach. There was a job opening at every one of these places this morning because someone didn't show up. Right. I guarantee not you. Jobs that not jobs that people want. So I've been listening. I listen to what the clients say. And I figure, mm -hmm. well, what they want jobs that pay $20 an hour. Okay, so what jobs pay $20 an hour or $15 an hour? Lab core, going and picking up urine. Uh, driving around, you got a valid driver's license, you know, go work for something where you can, you know, make a good amount of money. You're not going to make a good amount of money, you know, washing dishes 16 hours a week. That's what people were getting at Beachwood is like little part-time jobs at the restaurants down the hill on Franklin. And it's like, that's not going to, I mean, yeah, maybe you'll get a full-time job there eventually, Right. And then a couple of the kids got into patient brokering. Right. Well, that was a nightmare. There, there's a ton of money there. There was a ton of money there. Um, I think there still is, though. I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm seeing. So I'm just excited about the idea that we start having some sort of bigger ideas about what rehab can be. Because rehab, as we know it, is over. I mean, there's a great article in the Washington Post, Mike, we, or Huffington Post. We should post it. It's basically, insurance is not going to pay for 30 days treatment anymore. So, so we have to change the model. Wait, it's not going to pay for 30 or it's not going to pay for 90? Not going to pay for 30. What's it going to pay for? They're going to, they're going to insist that you have 90 day programs that uh -huh. are their price points. So most of the people that want to make 40 grand in 30 days it's going to be 40 grand in 90 days. So are all the people just going to close up their rehabs? I would imagine a lot of them are. Well, isn't that better for the patient? And yes, way better for the patient. Because but they, I think they you need, need to, to stay fucking month. 90 days, man. They, but you I know. Think you, yeah, but you also need to think about month four and month five and month six and where they're going to go. And if you could keep them all in one kind of community that was just, way affordable and they were going to school so they could feed themselves they got a little bit of you know loan money i mean 
I always brought up to me. I thought about I stayed in college from 1979 to 1984. Five years I went to college. I probably have one year's credits, but I got paid (laughs) to go to college. Right. Dude, I love I love what you're doing with that. I love the idea of because especially once you start, you get a couple people that go over to that. They take that next step and then it becomes the the way for everybody to do it. Like Cooper had that where you lived in the houses for six months and then you could move across the street to the apartments because it was the next step. You know, you and was it affordable? Was it was it absolutely affordable. It, it was super crowded, but I mean, it was totally affordable. But what you're doing, or what you, where you're going with that, I love that idea of okay, this is the first phase. The first ninety day chunk of this is this. Then the next six months, instead of just trying to scrape by and be able to barely afford your sober living and not be able to buy a car and not be able to do what you want is you're going to be in school with everybody else. Everybody else is going to be doing this stuff too. So you're all going to have places to go. You're all going to have to make time for your meetings and for your hangout. But it it's everybody moving in the same direction. That sort of positive um, peer pressure could work really well. And the Fuck, reason man. I wanted to talk about it is I know a lot of clinicians listen to our podcast. And I just want to put it out there. Like, let's start thinking about, because treatment is going to change. 2020 is going to be a fucking disaster. Yay. It is. I mean, I just was up in Sacramento like two weeks ago. They're going to mandate Suboxone if you want to get Medi-Cal funds. So so say your cry helps, your impacts, all the Tarzana, American Hospital, all the places that take Medi-Cal. They're not going to get paid unless they have MAT replacement therapy. You won't even you won't be able to get paid on the abstinence. I mean, they're really going to shove Suboxone wow. down California's throat in 2020. That's that's a bummer. And so, so, so this is the the change the change that has taken place since like back in the cry help days when you went, and there was no question about it. If you wanted to go, you had to go for six months. Right. Do you remember that? Yeah. And it was county funded. Right. Yeah. But count the county believed in absence based treatment. I mean, so now they do 30 days, they do 30 days and they get out and they go on Suboxone and they go get a job at Starbucks. Yeah. But people don't really believe in absence based treatment in government anymore. I mean, Nora Vocal and 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 ASAM and they, they all the leadership of addiction medicine in america switched over to replacement therapy like five oh nora years. i liked her too that she is yeah she was my idol until that but dang so, it that's terrible but you know what that's what i'm hearing i we i have a guy well several guys now from ohio and that's the model in ohio is a detox and then suboxone and yeah. I, I have a guy who was on 32 milligrams of it, like 20 some was prescribed because anytime you'd go back and they'd go, how are you doing? Well, you know, I'm not feeling as good as I used to. They just up the dose and up the dose. And then he's, then he's picking up 10 milligrams on the street, but he's also doing Fetty pills. And what were they called? Fetty, Fetty 30s. Fetty 30s. Yeah. 
So it's like, so he's, he's doing that on top of 32 milligrams of subs. It's not, it's not a replacement therapy. So that's, I mean, I understand medically assisted treatment and I understand the craving control and an early sobriety that can be good as long as there's a taper in place. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I thought that was cool because I just see methadone all over it. Yeah. I just don't think it's, you know, uh, I mean, it just, you know, I hope it works for some people. I know it's not going to work for most people. It's not. Methadone worked for some people. It didn't work for most people. Everyone I know who's sober was on methadone for years at one time or another. I know I was. So it's not the ultimate solution for most people. It might be the ultimate solution for some people. But we have to stop throwing the baby out with the bathwater. All right, abstinence-based treatment because there are a bunch of fraudsters and con artists and bullshitters. We're going to throw abstinence-based treatment out the window. We're going to replace it with MAT and Suboxone. And rather than like, hey, let's get rid of the bad actors. Let's get rid of the bad doctors. Let's educate the public. Let's educate the addict population. Let's try to work together and encourage one another. And if we have somebody that's gone to... 20 treatment centers and my treatment center four times, I should not readmit them for the fifth time. And I should recommend that they go to MAT or they go to Suboxone instead of, Oh, if they called my phone number, they got to come to my rehab because I got to make the last dime off of somebody, you know, that I think, I think I'm optimistic about what's going to happen. I just know what's going to happen before what happens. And what happens before what happens is going to be hundreds of thousands of junkies in California are going to be mandated. I would imagine, I just know for a fact that you're not going to, even if you have an abstinence-based program and then you have a Suboxone track, uh, uh, if you don't have a Suboxone track, you're not going to get Medi-Cal money. You're not going to get checks in the mail. So that's going to change, you know, all the treatment centers we love and respect so much. How are they going to keep their lights on? I don't know. It's going to be a unique breed, man, that just like, you know, just says like, look, I'm just going to stop and I'm just going to go to NA or I'm going to go to AA. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to hang with the people. I'm going to just fucking stop. I'm not doing it anymore. You know, I mean, that's what I did. But that's going to be a rare breed, which I don't know. It might be a good thing. What if it comes back, though? What You know, I'm hoping that when when you think about how much information about addiction the average 28 year old who's been in treatment for 10 years has in their head, maybe it'll all rattle around in there and click someday. (laughs) If they, if they don't die, just got to open up your, open up your mouth about it at meetings and stuff. I mean, you can't give up on meetings, Bob, your opinion and stuff at meetings is really what's going to help. And my opinion at meetings is listen, newcomers aren't going to be discouraged by so of AA. I'm speaking to the people with 20 years sober who are assholes. And they <laughs> I know they hear me. Yeah. Yeah, so just keep speaking and just get louder than them when they get right. loud. Fuck well, it, I, man. Well, I told you the thing when I spoke in Beverly Hills and I told the newcomers and the kids in the vans, you should find out what day the, the uh, uh, business meeting is and the election is. You should all come here, nominate one of the solid people in your group of you 20 30 something kids and run these old people out of here and you you have to you have your voice has to be heard man i mean you know i'm i'm not down with you just giving up and like on on the pro on the on the program stuff you know and stuff and that's kind of like 
the grassroots of where it all fucking happens, man. You I'm know? going by Bill Wilson. I, I don't just make shit up and then be this shit talker or whatever. Bill Wilson said, if AA doesn't do some soul searching, you can look it up in the grapevine. He was outraged at the way that people were treating newcomers in 1967. Imagine what he'd be like now if he saw what goes on. <laughs> So he wrote uh, this paper yeah, so, that if AA doesn't do a gut check and get back to the basics, it's where I came up with the back to the basics idea for treatment. Okay, but if you get can't rely the basics of one alcoholic helping another, it will die. If you can't rely on rehab and you can't rely on on program, what do you rely on? You can rely on on people and program and rehab. It's just a matter of deciphering who's full of shit and who who doesn't, you know, to, to speak to you. That's the thing that young people don't really seek out. So when I don't like what I hear at a meeting, I just go to another meeting. Like, I don't go to the Silver Lake meetings anymore at all. There's nothing there that I want to hear. Nothing. 20 years sober people whining about their cats. Fuck that. <laughs> just you fucking open up, I, man, and, and I, just share and honestly mind, about this shit. I don't shit. mind being critical. I literally sat and listened to somebody talk about their dying cat for 15 minutes when there was 40 or 50 newcomers in the room. Oh God. Like what the fuck are you, are you here right now? Your cat's sick and died. I get it. It's a bummer. Talk to your friends about it after the meeting. Exactly. Right. So, and, and you know, I love my cat more than I love my dog. I mean, I understand animal love, but you know, I was thinking about Gilda today. I've had Gilda since 2004. She's 14 years old. She's going to die. My cat's going to die. <laughs> Realize it today. Dude, you got a big share coming up. I was, yeah. Yeah, I You're going to need to book a speaker spot. That's a 14-year-old cat. That's pretty old for a cat. You got to go back to that same exact meeting, man. Look at share about that shit for an hour. Hey, is this the oh. cat meeting? Because this is the cat meeting. Yeah. I just wanted to come here. I, I heard that you could share if your cat died here. Today. I really think I might use over it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, man. I say the voices get louder. That's what I say. You I think say. about how long I've had this cat. I've had this cat from before celebrity rehab, after I left and broke up with Max. When I was living in Joshua Tree by myself, back in Hollywood, she lived at the Beechwood house. She lived in Laurel Canyon. She lived in Encino when I was with Elvis's mom. She lives here in Claremont. Like that cat and me for fucking 15 <laughs> years. And I just looked at her this morning when I fed her and I was like, you're going to die. How old are you? <laughs> oh, God. That's so awesome, dude. <laughs> But I mean, think about it. She lived. She was an indoor outdoor cat in Joshua Tree and survived for four years. How oh, that's that amazing. She yeah. earned it. That's amazing because coyotes can definitely. Coyotes are everywhere, though. But she knows. She she knows how to like get in little spots where nobody can see her and get at her. Oh, that's awesome. And so yeah, but so anyways, I just I think you know somebody's got to speak up and say like let's speak get back up. To the basics. Yeah. Like, let's fucking be about the newcomers. The, 
you say it, you know, especially those Orange County memes. You guys go to your long. They say, <laughs> <laughs> how long has it been I since you've been to an Orange County meme? Really? In all the Orange County, it's something about the South Bay. It always has that thing <laughs> oh in there. You're coming as the most important person in the room. And then they talk about the, then, then the people with time talk about themselves for an hour and a half. <laughs> now I'm going to start. To, I'm going to get a cat, so I have something to talk about. <laughs> oh you don't God. have a cat? We don't have any animals right now. All right. Well, the only people you can rely on is. I thought you had a rabbit. No. I saw Bug with a rabbit one time in a picture. I thought you guys had a rabbit. No, we visit a lot of animals, and that's good enough. That was for stew. Yeah, I was I was making (laughs) four four keychains that that day. Stewing, (laughs) stewing rabbit. But um, well, I mean, let's just get down to it. Same old, same old. Don't die podcast. Don't die. The shit rattling around in your head is gonna break free, and you're gonna find sobriety. And Bob criticizes AA, so you should be put to death. No, Bob should be not giving up on AA. Bob should be enjoying a resurgence. A resurgence. I went. I went, I went last week. I'm, I'm going with you. I, I got a new sponsee, the guy that wanted to move to Seattle. I was like, I See? don't know about that. There's how you man, make a difference. It's grassroots, man. You got to get your feet on the pavement again, Bob. But then I don't want to be the guy that tells somebody they can't move to Seattle and then they just use here in sober living because they don't have a job. I mean, it's a real responsibility being a sponsor. <laughs> Tell him you I, got a guest house. Tell him he can stay in the guest house. Yeah, he's oh. yours now. <laughs> Fuck, you, you, man. Just, you just bought yourself a millennial. Look at how jaded what? you got. What? <laughs> oh, he can speak. We can. We got to get him into free sober living somewhere. Yeah. Got a scholarship, Chuck? Oh yeah, I've got a several in my pocket. Nah, what are you thinking? <laughs> All right, well, thank you for well, Bob. We sure love you, man. I hope you feel better. I everybody's sick. Dayquil? I haven't taken Dayquil today. Should I take I can, some? You know what? Like guess what I take? Nyquil, what? and it's got fucking alcohol in it. But guess what? I take it anyways. You should double up on that. When I <laughs> no, I take it as directed, Chuck. But you, when you I'm going to go to sleep and I have a cold, have I take Nyquil. You got to have liver problems. I don't know. I never go to the doctor. <laughs> no, he doesn't because he hasn't been told he does. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. Four years ago, I went to get the old man checkup at Kaiser, and the guy was really cool and he said oh you know you have you had your liver check with this new instrument and i said well i'm not getting a biopsy i can tell you that it's a waste of time and you guys sell that shit all the time and he was like oh no 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 it's not a biopsy anymore it's this thing where they push it down towards your liver and it and it um takes a I don't know. It takes a thickness measurement of your outside of your liver the cirrhosis on your liver so he starts doing it and I can tell he's paying real close attention and he's interested in what he's seeing on the computer. And I was like, what's going on? And he goes, well, (laughs) and you never want to hear a liver doctor say this. Not good. So, so there's this certain part of the liver that you measure and it's like, it's cirrhosis and how thick the cirrhosis is, meaning it's going through your liver, not just on the outside. So he goes, on certain parts of your liver, you're, you're like at 19. And I go, what does that mean? And he goes, well, I mean, you'd rather have it 
less than that. And I said, well, what's the scale? And he goes, well, obviously it goes from one to 24. And I go, oh. 19 damage. And he goes, yeah, but just in certain parts. Oh, that's so good. Since then, I was like, oh, my God, I can't take this stuff. Anything that says if you have liver problems, don't take it. I don't take it. Nah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even pay attention to any of that. Well, you know, that didn't work out for Bob's teeth. You can't just ignore them. <laughs> yeah, I saw a thing on the news. Oh. Yeah, you can, Chuck. Then one day you're walking around Disneyland, and the guy comes up and says, <laughs> so I can fix that for you. Yeah, because that happens to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Just, God dang. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, well uh, that, you know, the other thing is that um, that whole thing with China and the harvesting of organs, you hear about this? Oh, no. my God. Can we say that? Harvesting the organs. And I remember there's a dark side of me is always like, I wonder how much those livers are. <laughs> oh, I think you can get them on the dark web. You just need to go on the dark web. Jeez. Mail order. I bet could, I bet Amazon delivers order them in the overnight. You might, you might have to fly to China to get it installed. Amazon. <laughs> I don't think they can. Yeah, liver installation. <laughs> All right. You can't, you can't do that digital download. No, you could probably have a 3D printer make you one yeah, soon. Don't worry. Your liver and then have some, you know, outpatient program. <laughs> All right. How's, how uh, is your you phone got... still alive, Mike? What What are I you I don't on? know. It's about to die. So let's just say good night. I love you. Don't die. Don't die, Chuck. No, stop dying, Chuck. Stop dying. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming stop on, dying, Bob. Bob. Okay, another intro. That's all right.